Hello, Church. Pastor Adrian here. Um, before we get started with the message, I'd actually like to make a number of announcements uh, to bring to your attention. Uh, first of all, first of all, this uh, Friday Friday nights uh, at seven p.m. We are having a Friday night youth vespers. Uh, this is for the youth of our church, young people. Um, and I started doing this to try to help our young people stay connected uh, spiritually. Uh, and myself and Paul will be leading out uh, in that ministry. We will be doing that on WebEx. And for anyone who would like to join or they would, uh, any young people who would like to join, if you could just contact me with the information on how to join us uh, on Friday nights. Uh, we've we've done it. Uh, we did it last week, and we had a great time. We really enjoyed uh, getting together. Those of us who did. Uh, so that's the first announcement. Uh, the second one is that we have begun our Tuesday night prayer meetings again on WebEx. We've started doing them about two weeks ago, and uh, we're starting to get more people participating. And it is so nice to hear those voices that we normally hear on Tuesday night, to be praying for each other, to get in the Word together, uh, and to fellowship and to talk. So if you would like to join us on Tuesday nights at 5 o'clock for prayer meeting, uh, the information is in our weekly uh, emails. Uh, You can check those, or again, you can connect with myself. Uh, via text or phone call, or send me an email, and I will send you the information. But we would love to have you on. The next announcement that I would like to make is that this Monday at 4.30, we are going to have, the Texas Conference is going to have a town hall meeting. Now, as many of you know, this meeting was supposed to take place uh, Thursday Uh, afternoon around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, but unfortunately we had to postpone that meeting uh, until Monday at 4.30. And uh, the president and the other administrators are going to share with our church members uh, around the Texas conference the state of our conference. Uh, We, like all other uh, organizations uh, right now in the U.S., are feeling the impact of shuttering businesses and churches uh, and and the social distancing that we are having to do right now. And so the conference would just like to share with the church what is happening and what steps are going to be taken to absorb the impact uh, of what's happening right now. If you'll go again to your weekly email, there was a link there that actually takes you to uh, the virtual Facebook uh, live page that you can go to and participate. And I want to stress that uh, for those of us who do not have Facebook, like myself, we can still participate. You do not have to have a Facebook account to actually join this. Uh, so if again, if you'll just go to the link, uh, there's some explanation there, and, and you can watch uh, the presentation. I would encourage all to do that because it's very important uh, for us to understand what's going on. Uh, So with all of those things said, uh, let's get into our message for today. Um, And for our message, I would like to go back to the book of Genesis. And I would like to look 
at a story in the Bible that is one of my personal favorites. And as I read this story, I find so many important life lessons uh, that help us through difficult times like these. And it's a story that I've looked at many times before, and every time I go back to it, I see it from a different angle. And it's the story of Joseph. But particularly towards the end of his life, uh, his reconciliation with his brothers uh, and what their interaction was like after the death of his father, Jacob. Um, So as always, I will read here and pray and begin. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. And it reads, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. God in heaven, I want to pray today, Lord, as we look at this passage and uh, what you did in Joseph's life and in the circumstances that he was in. And God, what this teaches us about what is happening today, please guide us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. As always, may Jesus be lifted up, we ask and pray, your words spoken and believed in, and your spirit minister to each person. In Christ's name, amen. As I was uh, preparing for today's message, I found this interesting um, article in the Adventist Review from January 12, 2010. It was written by Elijah Mavendura, who is actually from Africa. And he's writing about the sovereignty of God. And he starts with this interesting conversation that he had with fellow Adventists about conspiracy theories. And this is what he said. It's, it was written now almost uh, over 10 years ago, actually, but it actually is uh, kind of uh, similar to some of the situation that we're going through right now in our country, in our economy. He says here, Economists are still debating the causes of the 2008 global financial collapse. But in the netherworld of conspiracy theories and neo-Nazis, there is no need for debate. The crisis was planned, they say. It was a sinister plot to establish a world socialist government. 
Catastrophes breed conspiracies. The French and Bolshevik revolutions, the Great Depression, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the high incidence of HIV and crack cocaine addiction among African Americans, and the 9-11 attacks have all been attributed to some form of conspiracy. I never thought much about these conspiracy theories until recently. The trigger was an animated discussion I had with several Adventist friends. Not only did they eagerly embrace these theories, but they also wove them into their interpretation of prophecy and end-time events. Unappreciated by my friends, and deeply troubling in my view, is the irreconcilable tension between conspiracy theories of history and the biblical view of history. He goes on to say, Conspiracy theorists explain all major historical events or catastrophes as intrigues by secret societies, Freemasons, Illuminati, Jews, Opus Dei, steering the world toward a one-world government. And some of these contend that if these intrigues are not widely known or accepted as true, it is because one of the groups is deceiving everyone. In short, for conspiracy theorists, malvalent and powerful secret cabals in high positions hold the levers of history. But to ascribe to such transcend to ascribe such transcendent power to human beings, no matter how powerful or how influential, is to contradict clear biblical testimony of divine sovereignty over all of history. In fact, one of the main purposes of prophecy, especially apocalyptic prophecy, is to reassure believers that contrary to all appearances, God is still in control of history. Or as Ellen White put it, in the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires, appear as dependent on the will and prowess of man. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold, behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently, working out the counsels of his own will. That's from Education, page 173. He finishes by saying, Faith in God's sovereignty over history banishes fear. And he quotes here Psalm 46 2, We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Psalm 46 and 2. So you see, there's people who in the world today are trying to explain, they're trying to grasp at answers for why things are happening the way that they are. What is the cause of all of this? Why could it not have been stopped sooner? Why are people dying? Why are people losing their job? 
Why can't we just get back to church? And so on and so on goes the question. You know, recently I had to take one of my foster children to to the pediatrician. And so it was the it was a regular checkup. And so we went to the pediatrician and uh after the pediatrician had cleared the child and you know uh, checked him out and and uh we were talking there and she was giving me instructions for when our next visit would be. And he had to get a shot by the way. So we were um, talking, and, and I had to ask her, I said, so what is the effect of the coronavirus on small children? Because I have three of them now that I'm fostering. And she uh, reassured me that uh, the effect on small children is has not been uh, very significant. She says that uh, over in Dallas, they were clearing out a children's hospital to prepare for children to come in. Uh, but very few have come in. It's very rare, she says, that they find small children uh, suffering severely from this virus. And so I felt much better about it. But then she went on to say something that was totally unexpected. She said, as our conversation went on, she told me that her small elementary age child had asked her, Mommy, why is God allowing the coronavirus to happen? She was just quite uh, shocked. She didn't expect this question to come from her small child. And she told me, she looked at me, she said, I just wasn't sure what to say. But I told her, honey, just wait and see. Somehow God will bring something beautiful out of all of this. And she said, I, she told me, I don't know if that was the right answer. I wasn't sure what to say. And I thought in my heart, wow, that was such a a wonderful response. And I told her, you know what, I think that was perfect. And I think that she'll remember that. And maybe as a small child, she'll take the words of her mother to heart and she will look for something good to come out of all of this craziness that is happening in the world around us. And indeed, we can already see that beautiful little flowers, so to speak, are starting to spring up in the midst of what's happening around us. For instance, more families are spending more time together probably than they have in years or a long time. It has been reported again and again that pollution has dropped significantly significantly around the globe, especially in large cities. Animals are starting to come uh, into the cities. They're starting to come out of hiding. They're starting to uh, uh, do much better now that there's not so much pollution and there's so much traffic and noise. I have even heard and noticed that abortion clinics right here in Texas have been closed for weeks because they're trying to preserve uh, medical equipment and what they're calling a personal protective equipment. And so think of the children who might live, even if it's just one, as a result of all of this. Something that has also piqued my interest lately is that I've heard that there are people who are hungrier for church than they have been in a long time. One, because people aren't able to congregate as usual, 
And two, because of the crisis that we, we are in right now, people don't know what's going on. So people who don't, don't normally go to church or not interested in the things of God, they are looking for answers. They're hoping that churches open up again. And some of them are even starting to get online and look for services. They're starting to look for Christian websites like never before. And wouldn't you imagine our churches have closed down physically and have gone online in great numbers. This online virtual ministry has just exploded across our country, now at a time when there are so many people who are hungrier for the things of God than ever before. Yes, I think that God is going to bring something very good out of all of this, and he's already doing that now. But we cannot look over the fact that there are people who are losing their lives. There are people who are losing their jobs, losing hours, losing patience, and some of them are losing peace and calm. What if I get sick? What, what if something happens to me and my family that I'm not uh, expecting or prepared for? And so as we look at our story here in Genesis chapter 50, we see that God is the amazing, um, the amazing sovereign ruler of the universe. And he's the amazing sovereign ruler over nations. And he's the amazing sovereign uh, ruler over individual lives and families. And so despite what's happening in many people's lives today, we can learn from our story that God is the master of taking these circumstances and somehow weaving his way into the narrative and bringing something out of it that people would not expect. In this story, we see that God has a number of objectives in mind at the end of Joseph's life and in the narrative of the people of of Israel, what one day will be a great nation. There's a lot of things that we can learn from this passage, but I just want to touch uh, on two different things that we can learn from this passage today. And one of them is God's unparalleled ability to glorify himself out of any situation. Out of any situation that we find ourselves in, good or bad, God has this way of glorifying his name like none other can do. And secondly, God's ability to transform us at the core of who we are and all that we believe. But all of this can only be done because God is sovereign. God is the one who is behind the curtain, as we read in the quotation before, working out his perfect plan in history. Now, as I was reading through this passage here, there was something that that uh, I d- dug a little bit deeper into, and it's particularly here in verse 20, where it says, where Joseph is talking to his brothers. Now, we know this story very well, I'm sure many of us, how Joseph was the 11th son of his father, Jacob. He was the 11th born, and he was the favorite of his father, the Bible tells us. Uh, Joseph 
uh, as a young man, he began actually having dreams where he would be out in the field with his brothers, uh, working the field, and his sheave would stand up straight. And his brother's sheaves who were around him would bow down to his sheave, giving a homage and honor to him. His brothers detested him for this. They hated him for this. But this was just a dream that he had. He was expressing it to his brothers. And we learned later on that this dream was actually divine. Joseph even had a dream where the 11 stars and the sun and the moon actually bowed to him and paid homage as well. When he told his father this dream, his father was beside himself, and the Bible says that he rebuked Joseph. How could you say such a thing? Do you think that I will give you honor? Do you think your mother and your brothers will give you honor? After all, he was one of the youngest of the 12 children of Israel. But later on, we learn that these dreams were divine, that God was telling Joseph, he was communicating to him that something miraculous was going to happen in his life, but not before things tragic in his life would happen first. And so, This is the story of Joseph. This brings us uh, to chapter 50 where there's um, Joseph was sent off to uh, Egypt. He was sold into slavery and his brothers in contempt, they sold him off to slavery and he became a slave first in Potiphar's house. He moved up the ranks, so to speak. He was falsely accused of harassing Potiphar's wife and then he got put into jail where he was left there for a while. And to make a long story short, he eventually was called to tell Pharaoh himself uh, what his dream meant. And uh, Pharaoh had a dream where he saw these uh, cows that were plenty, they were fat, they were healthy, and then they were later swallowed up by these sickly, weak cows. And so Joseph was called before Pharaoh to tell him the meaning of his dream. And Joseph was able, by the grace of God, and by a gift given to him by God, was able to tell tell Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. He was able to interpret what it meant. And he told him that there would be a season of famine for years. There would be these years of of, of a famine that were going to come. That's what all the sick cows meant. But before that, there would be plenty. There would be a time of plenty. So um, he recommended that they save up all the plentiful years for the time of famine. And so Pharaoh uh, exalted him to this high position. And just as was predicted, the time of famine came. And eventually... Jacob sent his sons to Egypt, not knowing that his son was still alive and basically second to the most powerful man in the world at that time. And so his brothers came before Joseph asking for grain. And they were eventually reconciled to each other. And they discovered that their brother was still alive and that this powerful man whom they were getting food from was Joseph himself. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph has an opportunity 
to do something that I think many people would have done. And that is to exact revenge on these people who had hurt him the most in his life. These people who intentionally and deliberately sold him into slavery. These people who should have uh, watched over and cared for him the most were the ones who treated him the worst. And so now that their father is out of the way, this buffer between Joseph and his brothers, they are terrified. They're afraid that Joseph is going to punish them. And so I love Joseph's response here. Because by the time we get to Genesis 50, Joseph has already been sold into slavery once. He's been thrown into prison, having been falsely accused. And he's had to go through this, this uh, difficult uh, process of a, a cultural change and a language change and being separated through, from his family for all these years. But in that process... God was doing something in Joseph's life that no one else could have done. And by the time we get to Genesis 50, we see that Joseph, in his, in his age here now at this time, he had come to recognize the hand of God at work in his life through all of those circumstances. As a matter of fact, in his response to his brothers, Joseph says in verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. What does that mean, that God meant it for good? So I, I looked a little bit more into this word meant or mean. And in the original language, it can, the word can mean uh, to devise or to plan. But at the root of the Hebrew word meant, the Hebrew word is kashav. It also has the idea of literally weaving or fabricating something together. Like cloth, or like weaving a basket. Now, I've never taken sewing. I've, I never took uh, basket weaving in home economics, but I understand that it can be a time-consuming and intricate process. And so that tells me that God does not try to hurry along with his plans so that he can simply get to the end result as quickly as possible. No, that's not the way that God works. God slowly weaves the fabric of our lives with care and precision. I'm even willing to bet, uh, if I was a betting man, that the coronavirus pandemic and the economic crisis that is developing before us is not something that's going to change God's plans for anything. Either it is a part of his plan, or he is going to take this single thread of history and weave it right into what he's already doing, like a master weaver. And that can be difficult for us to understand, being in the midst of all of this craziness. 
We feel that this is so unprecedented. And, and people I have talked to, uh, people who have, who have been around for a long time, who have seen uh, world wars and other economic collapses and, and seen uh, a, a trial and tribulation before. I've talked to many uh, of our more uh, older senior citizens who say, I've never seen anything like this. It's taken many people by surprise. But not God. Not God at all. I believe that God will show his power, his sovereignty, and his infinite wisdom when this is all over, just like he did with Joseph and his family. Now now maybe we will soon see what God is doing, or it might not be till we get to the other side of the Jordan River. But at some point, we will look at what God was doing in the world. We will look at, at, at how God was weaving things together, and we will say, "This God, what you were doing was absolutely perfect. There is no way to improve on how you brought things together, on how you were moving behind the scenes to work out your perfect plans. Rest assured that God has no equal when it comes to bringing glory and beauty out of ashes and absolute uncertainty. You know, I was uh, recently talking to a church member, and uh, he told me that, uh, you know, he's he's waiting uh, to get a, a haircut. You know, he's been needing a haircut for a while. So he uh, called up his barber, and um, he uh, was asking him basically, you know, if he could get a haircut. But of course, you know, these places have been closed. So his barber said, listen, I've opened up my garage, and I'm having people come by. And uh, that's how I'm, I'm giving them haircuts. And of course, you know, you don't have to worry about crowds or anything like that. So uh, the church member went to, uh, to his barber's garage, and he asked them the question, hey, what do you make of all of this that's going on? And the barber said, well, uh, I don't know, but I can tell you that I have had more people coming through my garage who have wanted to go to church than ever before. I have had more people tell me that they are ready to go to church than ever before because of what is happening with this coronavirus. And I heard that and I was like, wow, praise God in heaven. Think about the response. Think about how how many people are going to be more sensitive to hear the gospel, how more people are going to be sensitive to hear about Bible prophecy and the three angels' message because of what is happening. How many people are going to be converted and how many more people are going to come into the kingdom of God because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Yes, there will be those who uh, will only be a sensational, so to speak. You know, the, the desire will come and go and pass. But maybe this is the right time in history. Maybe this is the right time in someone's life for them to lose hours or lose a job or, or lose the peace and security that they felt 
for years or maybe their whole life and say, I need something more. I need, I need answers. I need security and peace like I've never had before. And then they begin to look up. And church, as God's people, we have to be prepared. We have to have our hands open wide. We have to be ready to catch those who come into our presence, whether it's by phone or it's a neighbor or somebody we meet at the grocery store or when we finally come back to church and we can come together in fellowship again and and things get back to normal, whatever that means. We have to be ready for those who are going to be sensitive because of what is happening in this world today. People who are looking for a sovereign God who's in control and has answers. Yes, I believe that God is going to glorify his name even in this time, even in this strand of history that looks chaotic. But we learn here in Joseph's story that while God was weaving the narrative He was also changing the characters in the narrative as well. Joseph had needed this life experience to give him a a divine perspective about what was happening in his life and with his family and in the nation in which he was living as a a foreigner. And so I believe that's the one of the things that we learn here in this story that is so important for each and every one of us, not just how God navigates the ship, but the individual people who are on it. How does God, how does God work and move at the core of who we are and all that we believe through times like this? And I'd like to share a personal testimony with you that has nothing to do with the coronavirus. It has nothing to do with the economic collapse, but it has something to do uh, with something that you're all very aware of. And, And that is our journey of being foster parents. It really starts a long time ago, almost 30 years ago, when I was a young man myself, playing basketball at my elementary school when I was at elementary age, and you see, I come from a broken home that, where there was divorce and uh, there was lots of arguments and, and fighting growing up. And uh, even as a child, after my parents had separated, I, I had thought to myself, I want to have my own family so that someday I can have what I had always longed for. And that was a family that, that had love and unity and that stuck together no matter what. And so this was a strong desire of my heart growing up as a child and as a young man. And so fast forward all the way to my 20s, I, I marry a beautiful Japanese uh, woman. And after five or six years of, of being married, God has still not chosen to bless us in that way, though we have prayed and, and we have uh, earnestly sought God's blessing in this. And, and so we are still waiting that God may do that if it is his will. And if it's not, um, we are okay with that as well. But the journey to get to the point where I can earnestly say that 
No matter what happens in the future, I am content in what God does for me today. It's been a long and difficult journey. You see, the reality is is that I have felt in my life this brokenness from my own family, this, this longing and desire to have my own family. And I felt like something was missing. Why didn't God give to me what he gave to everyone else? That is children. And so as I wrestled with this for a few years, and my wife and I, we wrestled with this together, we decided to move into the process of foster and adoption. And we decided to leave whatever else happens into God's hands. And so as these children began coming into our home, these infants and young children began coming into our home, and as they would bring these children to us, and we would hear the horror stories about how even infants suffered at the hands of their parents, neglect, abuse, abandonment. And we saw these beautiful, innocent babies who suffered, who, who had no choice over their circumstances, who themselves were broken at such a young age. And we brought them into our home. I began to see how God was healing my brokenness through the brokenness of others. I began to see how God, again, as this master weaver, as this loving, compassionate, sovereign God, was working out his purposes in my life so that he, he's doing something in my heart, deep into the core of who I am, so that honestly today, as I take my foster boys out to walk on a trail, when the world is, is in chaos, when the economy is collapsing, when people are losing their job, yes, even myself, I, am, I just recently got a, a pay reduction, and I'm not sure what the future holds for myself or many others. Even in all of these circumstances, I can walk down a, a, a hiking trail with these three beautiful boys and watch them run and play and laugh and be so happy and content that it forces me, it causes me to look up to God and say, thank you, God. Thank you so much for the gift of these children. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives as well. And I can't explain or, or, or fully put into words how God mends broken people like myself. And you know, I can only share with people through the feeble words that I have, through prayer, and hoping that people can see something about what God is doing in my life. And you know, that's what people need. They need a testimony. They need to see people who are content. They need to see people who have been transformed. They need to see people who are assured of God's loving care despite the COVID-19 virus and the economic downturn and people losing their job and getting sick. Because I, I believe with all of my heart that that's why those people in that barber shop are saying, hey, I need God right now. 
I'm looking for something more. And so each and every person has a story. Each and every one of us has a narrative that God has been working in through the years. And so my question today to you is, what is your story? What is your narrative? How has that master weaver been weaving in your life? Because that's what people need to see, the grace of God moving and working in your life. Are you recognizing the divine hand of God weaving his perfect plan for you today? I want to challenge you to ask him to show his glory in your life and these dire times which we live in so the world might see the glory of God and turn to the one person who has it all in his hands. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.